Good morning. Hey, as you sit down, uh, I get the privilege of introducing your speaker this morning. Um, and as I do that, I, I begin sharing with you something really important to Barb and I. And that is, is that uh, Bergen Park Church is not the gym show. It is really uh, something that has been going on in Bergen Park Church, uh, in Bergen Park for since 1948. And um, it has a series of people that I'm calling founders. And if you are new to us, which half the church is in the last uh, three years, if you are new to us, you might not know who these people are. And you need to know them. I call them founders because of their longevity with us, but also for the depth of the contributions they have made. And I want to start this morning with one because he is preaching this morning, and you haven't seen him preach if you've been here less than six years. I think it's at least six years, Bob, maybe eight, okay? But I want you to know in 1996 and 97, Bob was preaching here halftime um, <clears throat> or near full-time with a seminarian. The church had just gone through a very ugly period, and uh, Bob and Terry Tucker stepped up and, um, and did an amazing work so that it was prepared for me when I came. So Bob and Terry, please stand up. You might see them more on guitar or Terry at the Connect Center, but you need to know that they are founders of Bergen Park Church. Let me tell you, okay, some of the things that have happened. Bob has been involved in worship. You see him now as everything from bass, but he's also been worship leader elder till we kick him off and uh, because everybody needs a rest but I think if you are talking to Bob and you listen to him this morning growth group leader is one of the things that he and Terry would enjoy most uh, Terry Terry when uh, who I've known since 1981 uh, was a pioneer for us in terms of in 2005 I looked this up Terry she became an adjunct staff. In other words, we gave her a title for what she was already doing. Uh, adjunct staff uh, overseeing body life at Bergen Park Church. That means she got all the responsibility with none of the money, and she's been doing that now for 12 plus years. She was also doing it before we gave her the title. In these years, she has been involved in children's ministry, church celebrations, organizing and leading growth groups. Um, she has been involved deeply in the new facility and uh, working with new staff. Uh, I don't think I would be functioning well today without Terry because many of the things that Terry does is left to the senior pastor. And we greatly appreciate you. You will see her now in the assimilation, involved in assimilation, the use of the lobby, uh, the Connect Center, uh, involved in the design of this church, uh, every uh, sort of facet going on here. There are many others that I'm going to introduce to you in the weeks ahead, and uh, I'm doing this to honor them, but secondly, I want you to know it's time for a new wave of founders. They're not giving up, but we're just much larger than we were, and we invite you to consider is an investment into Bergen Park Church and 
not the facility, but really in its people. One of the best things that God could call you to do in your years here. I think it is. So, now Bob is preaching. And uh, I've asked him to do a life message. That means it's from the Bible, but it's something that flows out of his lips all the time. Okay, Bob? Thanks, Come Jim. Share with us. Thanks, Jim. I was going to introduce myself as a sinner. And those of you who haven't been in the church most of your life, that word may be new to you. It simply means you miss the mark. And I don't know about you, but I miss the mark, my mark, this marks I set for myself all the time. I, I miss God's marks all the time. Today, I want to introduce you to my granddaughter and her thought on missing the mark. Oh, so close. Almost. Almost. Stop the ball. Okay. Can you shoot it? Yeah! It's pretty good, huh? Did you did you hear her word? Almost. Right? Most of us, that's our life, right? We almost get what we want to be doing in terms of being a follower of Christ. I want to pray for us. And uh, if you're one of those who, whose life just never seems to quite be what, uh, what you think it ought to be, um, hopefully the message today will be for you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that I'm forgiven. I thank you that you took me and uh, you made me what I am. Lord, so, so many of us come this morning uh, frustrated that we can't seem to get our lives together. We can't seem to be what you want us to be. And we just turn that over to you this morning. Lord Jesus, we invite you to be here. Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would come and use your word to change our lives. We want to be different people when we leave this morning. And when we are, we'll give you the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen, huh? I, I want to preach from down here. Brian tells me I have every reason scripturally to preach from the pulpit, but I don't have a seminary degree. I've not been ordained. I'm one of you. So I'll be preaching from down here. I hope you can all see me. Um, this is Jim, <laughs> eight years. I, I, Anybody remember the sermon I preached eight years ago? <laughs> Praise God. It was bad. It was, um, it was, it was a mulligan in my life. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. And so hopefully we'll do better this morning. Uh, Jim's given me one whole verse, so that's okay. Uh, and that verse is, and the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be competent to teach others also. Whenever you see a verse that starts with and or therefore, you have to go back and figure out what the context is, right? And says, I said something before, and so I need to know what that is. So I'm going to take us back a verse. And I'm going to introduce Timothy to you. I'm going to, you know Paul really well, but you probably don't know Timothy really well. This is a letter from Paul to Timothy, and he starts by saying, this is the second chapter, he starts the second chapter by saying, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, if you know Timothy at all, this is a big deal verse. He says in the previous chapter something like this. He says, for God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. It, it appears that Timothy was a really, really timid kind of guy. So what is Paul doing finding his protege as a very timid guy? Doesn't seem to make sense, right? It should be somebody who's kind of cut out of the same fabric we are. And yet Timothy seems to be a really different character. Seems to be really timid. But Paul's praying for him and he says, um, we, we have a spirit that, that's bigger than our timidity. You then, my son, be strong in the grace. This is our Timothy. So we're in, in the verse. I want us to just camp on this verse and break it apart a little bit. And then I'm going to give you some real life examples of Paul's, people that have been Paul to me as a Timothy, and people that have been my Timothys to help you get some ideas of how you might be able to do the same sort of stuff. So let's look at this. Uh, and the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy appears to have been with Paul for quite some time. This wasn't a new thing. Paul, uh, Timothy hung out with Paul a lot. Jim's been preaching about the Gospel of Mark. And this is not really a departure from that. It's reading the last page of the book. Any of you do that with books? You don't want to read it till you know that it ends well, so you cheat and go ahead. So this is at the end of Mark, at the end of the Gospels, Jesus challenges the disciples to go and make disciples. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's making a disciple in Timothy, and he wants Timothy to go and do the same thing he's been doing. So the things you've heard from me in the presence of uh, many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Count with me, how many generations do you see when you look at this? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others also. In ministry, you should, in your lifetime, be able to see four generations. You should be able to see your great-grandkids in the faith. Four generations. I want to introduce you to a concept, and that is when you're looking for somebody to be your Timothy, what should you look for? I think three things, and I think they come from this verse. The first thing is you want to look for somebody who is faithful. You want to look for fat people. This is going to be the abbreviation, and the first one of those is faithful. Second one of those is available. Faithful, available. The last one's teachable. Now, you're going to also be a Timothy to somebody. And let me ask you, how faithful are you? How available are you? And how teachable are you? As I go through my Pauls in my life, you'll see how faithful they were to me and I hope to have been to them. I wasn't very available at times, you'll see. And I was hard to teach. But they stuck with me. So I'm going to start with, the uh, first one is Bai Quinn. Bai Quinn was my second dad growing up. The Quins and Tuckers were glued together at the hip. My older brother, six years older, and their older son, Paul, were best friends in kindergarten. That was before I was born. So we were 
this way as families. And Bai Quinn was my mentor. He was a mechanical engineering professor. I was in mechanical engineering. He was my spiritual mentor. He was my business mentor. He was my mentor in many, many areas of life. He was also an elder in the church and really influential, as you'll see, to many generations. He was my father figure mentor. Second one is his younger son, Jim, who was two years, is two years older than I am and was my best friend growing up. Jim also led me to the Lord. We were college roommates. And he poured his life into me for two whole years as a roommate. And what he did was just live life as a believer in front of me. He struggled. Couldn't get a date sometimes. He had to pray a lot about his grades and what is he going to do with life. And he did that all in front of me. So I could just watch a believer struggle and see God victorious in his life. We were best friends. We hung out in Yosemite. We did lots of things together. Jim Quinn. Next um, is Jim Tozer. Now, how does a kid like me in grad school get time, get 16 hours a month with the lead pastor of a 1,600-person church? Hard to do. How do you get that availability? Two ways. I drove him to presbytery meetings. It was two hours away. He hated driving. I loved driving. So I would drive, and he would talk to me for two straight hours. And I'd do some homework while he was at Presbytery, and we'd drive two straight hours back, and he'd pour his life into me. 16 hours a, week, uh, 16 hours a month, the rest of the time was visiting hospitals. And when we were visiting hospitals, that, that wasn't an easy thing for me to do originally. I'd go into a hospital and kind of like, aren't there sick people in here? Right? And after you do it for a year and a half, three hours a day, three hours a week, um, you get used to being in the hospital. Jim taught me a lot. He wrote the book on the dynamics of a discipling church. Uh, Stan Ott probably did more for me than anybody else because he made himself available to me a lot. Every Thursday, three hours, full stop. He would teach me the same thing week after week after week because I was a little... I get it, I could answer the question, but I wouldn't do it. And so he'd have to come back to me and say, here it is again. One week I told him, I, I, I have to miss this week. I have to play golf with some colleagues at work. And Stan said, could I come along? He said, I will caddy for you. And he did. That's the kind of guy Stan has been. Next is uh, somebody who was... Here we go. Next is somebody who was a severe mentor in Terry's life. Terry is who she is because of Jim Simmons. Jim spent lots and lots of time with Terry when she was leading a high, uh, high school uh, fellowship and taught her Everything she knew knows probably, it, uh, just lots of stuff. He liked my guitar. Um, and this is me back in the bottom right-hand corner. I looked a little bush-leaked, didn't I? <laughs> but uh, from Jim, I learned about worship. And I learned how worship is really integral to who we are as believers. And, uh, and last and not least 
is uh, Jim DeMoler. And uh, Jim's been significant in my life since, what, 1981, I think. And uh, so this is the way I <laughs> prefer to think of Jim. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Jim, my Paul. Anybody else want to give him a standing ovation right about now? I always wanted a standing ovation in the middle of my sermon, and uh, now I got <laughs> had to cheat to do it. Uh, you're all going to get a chance to say thanks to Jim over the next month or so, but I get the chance to start. And there, there are a few things that I think I've, I've learned about Jim that I want to share with you. Uh, first of all is his idea of servanthood. I don't know of anybody in ministry I've ever seen that embodies servanthood as much as Jim. There, he has no ego problems. He has never had a problem with somebody stepping in front of him in line in ministry. That's number one. Number two, he understands the power of prayer. You're in a building today because he walked this lot for 13 straight years. And he asked God to bring this to us. And he did. He's a man of prayer. Third, he's WYSIWYG. He is what you see is what you get. There's no falsehood in Jim. There's no hiding behind anything. You see what you get. You get what you see something. Next, he is rock solid. He isn't cast about by the latest thing going around. He is who he is, and he, we really needed that when, when we sort of restarted this church. And lastly, he believes in application of the word, and he really tries to live the word of God. And every week when he preaches, you hear something that you can do when you go home. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I have the complete works of Jim DeMoler. These are my notes from Jim's sermons. Every week I'm taking serious notes because he's preaching serious topics. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. And here's why I would encourage you to do the same thing. When you listen to somebody talk like me this morning, you retain about 5% of what I talk about. It's not very much. Out of 20 things, it's one. But if you walk away this morning with one thing, I hope it's that you'll take notes every week during the sermon. And why? What else do you have to do? Right? <laughs> and wouldn't you like to go from 5% to 50%? And that's what you do simply by taking notes. Now, if you go back and review the notes, you do pretty well. You can get up to 90%. We hand out little note things that you can take notes on, right? But a book would be really good and a pen to go with it. Excellent. I'm going to talk a little bit about some mentoring opportunities around this church. Terry reminds me to bring Kleenex. I seem to cry at my own sermons. <laughs> and supermarket openings. <laughs> so a couple people that I wanted to spend time with mentoring. 
This is Jonah Haddad, and, and you're going to ask yourself, who mentored who here? It's a good question. I wanted to get time with, with Jonah. He was going to be our missionary, and he is our missionary in France, and he was studying at the seminary here, and I wanted to get time with him. Somebody else I wanted to get time with was Mark DeMoler. Funny thing, a friend of mine the other day said, you call your older son Paul, and you call your younger son my Mark. Why do you call your older son Paul and your younger son my Mark? Well, because Terry's cousins have a son, Mark, and the DeMolers have a son, Mark, and they're all about the same age, so I, my Mark. So this is not my Mark, this is Mark DeMoler. And uh, I wanted to get time with each of them, and I realized one of the things that Jesus did was what? He most often spent time with multiple disciples at a time because the dynamic between them was as important as getting time with them. So that's what I set out to do. I set out to spend time with both of these guys. Good time, we studied Francis Schaeffer, talked about Labrie a lot. Um, then Terry and I took a cruise to Alaska. Mark DeMoler, when he decided to go to college, wanted to go to Juneau, Alaska. And when he first told me, I had a brand new iPhone, and I said, I think it rains a lot in Juneau. And I looked up on my iPhone, Forecast for the next five days, rain, 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 rain. I warned Mark, and he came home after one semester. But Mark left a lasting impression on Juneau, Alaska. This is the school at Juneau, Alaska. And everywhere Terry and I went when we decided to visit the campus, everywhere we went, we found signs like this. So on the uh, library door, the Egan Library, you can see that uh, about everywhere on campus. So if you ever see Mark DeMoler, you ought to just rib him a little bit about that. I'm just kidding. That's done with more than one. That's the principle. When you're pouring your life into somebody, you can pour your life into two people or more at, with the same amount of time, right? multiplies your efforts. Also, if you spend time mentoring somebody, you might end up in their foreword of their book. Jim and I happen to end up in the foreword to Jonah's book, so that's a little bit of a... I, I pushed on to Jonah a little bit about Francis Schaeffer, a little bit about Labrie, and I got an email last week that he was at Labrie in January, and he's been invited to speak there in August. Pretty cool. By Quinn introduced our entire church to Francis Schaefer. By Quinn encouraged Jim Quinn and Jim Tozer to go to Labrie. Because of them going to Labrie, Jim Tozer got his college roommate to help produce the films that came out of Labrie. And now Jonah is going to teach there. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, the second thing I want to talk about in terms of discipling with this church has to do with growth groups. That's the central place that we do discipling in this church. If you're not in a growth group, you really ought to consider being in one. It's a small group that meets in a house. It's not just Bible study. It's not just sharing lives and praying, but it's the combination of those together. When we're growing together in the Bible and in prayer with each other, it makes a huge difference. So we have sign-ups this autumn. If you're not in a growth group, you ought to consider doing that. 
It's one of the principal cores of the ministries we have here. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about parenting and how important that is. That's an entire discipling thing unto itself. I'm going to give you a little about my mark and discipling. But first, I want to just take us back to Timothy. In the book of Timothy, Paul talks about Timothy's grandmother and his mother. Both were significant in his life. And in my life, my grandmother and my mother were both really significant to me spiritually. My grandmother came from Switzerland. Her father was a pastor. She prayed for me every day when I was growing up. I'm absolutely confident that I'm a believer today in part because she prayed for me. And my mom, I'll start crying. So. Okay. Um, BPC can really help in this. We have good classes on parenting. We, part of our growth groups can be parenting sorts of things, and we have really good encouragement for one another in that. First thing I would say in my experience is sometimes your kids are different. And in my case, let me go back. In my case, my two boys were pretty different. You can tell by looking at them, right? But in every way they were different. Right-handed, left-handed, straight hair, curling, every way they were different. And I had to be really careful of that. When my older son was growing up, two things about Paul. First of all, he was a lot like me. He was disciplined a little better with a stick than a carrot. That was me too. Got my end of the gene pool. The second thing is he, he, he was easy for God to reach. He wasn't a person that needed a lot to encourage his faith. He was there. Dad, I'm there. My son Mark came along. He was real different. He needed a carrot, and he needed encouragement in his faith. The carrot thing, I didn't understand until he was finishing his Ph.D., and I said, Mark, what happened? You were in junior high school. You were a pretty average student. All of a sudden, freshman year in high school, you're like a spectacular student. What happened? And ever since, he got one B at Purdue, chemical engineering. What happened? He said, I heard what you were saying to Paul, and I didn't want to be in that situation. It's called transference. I'm saying something to Paul who needs to hear it like a knucklehead, like his dad. And and Mark's hearing that and taking it to heart. <sighs> I didn't hear about this until he's finished a PhD. Second thing is, he said to me early, Dad, I don't know if I'm going to believe. Just want you to know that. So I took out all the books I knew about sharing your faith. I worked on apologetics with Mark. And what really hit him were these two experiences. He's a senior in high school. Hockey is his life, his absolute life. And what happens is he's trying out for his own team that he's been on for years. We go to tryouts, come home. He's fired up. He goes to tryouts the second night, and he finds out he was cut the night before. We didn't know we are supposed to get on the web and see if you were cut or not. He's showing up for the second night of tryouts having already been cut. What's the nice coach say? Oh, you can try out again tonight. Right? So he tries out again tonight. And we get home, and what do we do? We get online, and we look, and guess what? 
He's been cut again. This is his senior year. This is his life, and he's been cut. What do you say to a kid like that? We sat on the bed, and we cried, and I said, we serve a faithful God. I said, I don't know why. I have no clue why, but I know we serve a faithful God. We get a phone call. It's the assistant coach. He said, I've spoken with the head coach, and we want you to come try out again tomorrow night. <laughs> What's a kid got to go through, right? He tries out the next night. He makes the team. He gets, he's a defenseman. He gets thrown on offense. He gets thrown on the fourth line in offense. All through the year, he works his way to the first line of offense. And he scores the go-ahead goal in the state championship. God's faithful. Fast forward, he's graduated from Purdue. He's applied and gotten into University of Wisconsin for a PhD. He's there a semester, and they're supposed to sign up for which professor they want as a major professor. Well, he went there because of one professor who's the best professor in engineering on the planet. And he got in, and the professor wanted him there. Everything's set to go. So when they say, put your name against four or five different professors, he put it against one. It's the guy, right? Goes to the professor's office and finds out the professor did not get funding this year. Mark calls me up. Dad, what do you think? I said, what do you think? You want to go to a different school? No, I think I'm called to be here. Well, what do you think we should do? I said, I, I think we ought to pray and just see what God's got in mind. Kleenex. <laughs> God is so good. The next day, Mark goes to the, to the mailbox. He opens the mailbox. It's a letter. He has a full-ride scholarship from 3M to study anything he wants. Calls me up. I said, go ask the professor. He said, sure, come on down. Gets to study with the professor. It wasn't my words that changed Mark's life. It was God being faithful in tough times. So I'm going to give you a few, uh, a few things. Let your faith be real is, is, is my point to all of that. Three principles. First principle you saw throughout my pulse, right? Get, get time with people. If you're the Paul, find time to be with the Timothy, even if you've got to carry the bags when you're caddying, right? With me principle. Spend time with that person. The second thing is you can lead from weakness as well as strength. Example with me and Mark, right? I, I wasn't skilled in this, but I gave it to God. I stepped out, and, and that's what happened. The third thing I will say, and this is sort of my last point, most of us grew up with parents that said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing. And what did I put on the screen? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's talk about discipleship. The first thing most of us are thinking sitting here this morning is, I'm not competent to do what you're talking about, Bob. Right? So I won't do it until I can do it 
Is that the right answer? What's the right answer? Lead from weakness as well as strength, which means if it's really worth, do if it's really worth doing, it's better that you do it poorly than not at all. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that uh, we would not leave here today the same people that we were when we walked in. That would be to dishonor you. We've heard the reading of your word. We want to obey it. We want to have it change our lives. We want to be different people. So Lord, we pray you would take us wherever we are. We want to take one more step of faith. We want to take one more step to be disciples. And we want to take one more step to disciple others. And when you're big in our life and we can see it reproduced to four generations, Lord, we will come back and give you the praise and glory. And all God's people said,